about mm, 10 pages of notes that you really want to do. And, and then you sit here and you modify them and you're saying, oh, okay, I'll do this, do that, etc., etc." And so um, we got a lot that's in our spirit here this morning that we want to share. And more than just share, want to impart something, okay? Uh, I want us to come with expectation here today in who God is. And, uh, you know, there's an opportunity that every time that there is a message that's shared, that we leave differently. Amen. Amen? That we leave differently, that there's something within us that connects with the nature of God in a different way than we had had uh, before. And uh, as we're just going in, I wanted to share a few things that were um, impressed upon our hearts as we were praying into this time and just wanting to set a context and a little bit of a... um, a base for some things of, of expectation of what's going on right now amongst us. Um, you know, we hear the, the term signs and wonders. So there are signs, and then there's things that make you wonder, okay? Signs are kind of like there's an exit sign on the back door. It points us towards something. should be the Lord, right? And then there's wonders and things that happen amongst us that make you wonder what, what's going on with that. That's really cool, but well, what's really happening here? As a group and a people here uh, at Christ Church North Shore, we just uh, celebrated one year of being sent. What an incredible thing that we were sent from a place one year ago. Pretty amazing, too, as far as, you know, and I look for this stuff, so bear with me. Um, so the, the day after our sending was March 4th, right? And, and March 4th is literally to March 4th. We were marching to this building and to this place. And, you know, we just got to look at these things and just say, oh, my goodness, that's just so wild that there's one command day to March 4th, and that happened to be the day following. That was also spring forward. Uh, so it's actually the hardest day to show up to church, right, is because we lose an hour in doing that. But listen to the command. The fullness of time came that they were going to spring forth and march forward. So, uh, <laughs> so we get to celebrate a springing forth every year. And that's really what an, a, a year should be. It's just we can look back at historical context and saying, here's where we've been and here's where we are today. And we get to measure a length of time. But it is a springing forth onto something new. And so this last year has been very interesting for the fact that we've been trying to figure out what's going on. I also want to note that amongst us, there are so many people that are pregnant Okay. How many know that what's happening in the natural is actually something that's paralleled with what God's doing in the spirit? And so let me just talk about really quickly what a pregnancy season looks like because my wife has gone through it and we've just done some of this stuff. How many have been pregnant here before? Yeah? Quite half the hands, right? Okay. So uh, uh, it's a very uncomfortable season. It's uncomfortable. In fact, it's exhausting. The stuff that you were able to do normally now is extra hard. Because your body is exerting all this energy to grow something. You don't even know what it looks like because it's inside of you. And we've been kind of in this, in this, in this season where it's been uncomfortable. It's been stretching. It's been, uh, it makes it extra hard sometimes to do the normal things, like even getting together for home group type of nights, which used to be so simple. There was such a grace for it. Now there's, it's like extra hard, it seems, to, to do some of the things. And so uh, I'm just trying to parallel this with we know that when there's a pregnancy that happens that there's new things that are going to come out, right? 
And so God is posturing us. He's, he's repositioning us. Even if we look at the building that we're standing in here today, of course, we know the story, which is that Christ Church uh, began being sent out of this building to Kirkland. And then now we got sent back to it, which was by no mistake, though this was like the last place that we were looking to be, frankly. So the Lord had a bigger plan. And so here we are from the grassroots place where this little thing that we called a Christ church expression began. And then now we're back here again. It also happens to be very interesting that this is also a, uh, a Jewish community. Where did the gospel come from? A Jewish community. So there's too many things right there just to say, what does that mean? I don't know, but it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It's a sign or a wonder. <laughs> So we know that the Lord's in it. We know that there's something that's happening and that we should have an expectation on who God is in the midst of us because of how he's positioning us. So testimonies are pregnant with, 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 the, with faith to do it again. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about here this morning is with faith, but it's really about the nature of Jesus. And uh, uh, so we have a, a title, if John wants to put that up, uh, which is, he doesn't have it. What is our title? Right, it is. Who is this Jesus? And what is the good news that he is talking about? Thank you. It was too long to remember. Who is this Jesus? So I'm going to uh, uh, pick up where, where, we, where Eric left off here in uh, Luke chapter 7. And uh, if you want to turn to it, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Uh, in my Bible, it's page 1401. So you can find that in yours. Maybe that helps you. Um, actually, no, it's not. Thirteen ninety nine. Okay, so just to lay a, a context here, Israel uh, during this time frame of, of when Jesus came, they were occupied. Do you know that? They were occupied. There were centurions. There were Romans that were living amongst them that were, that were charging them taxes, high taxes. Um, they were kind of oppressed. And, uh, in fact, very oppressed. And they didn't like it too much. They were told what to do. And as being God's chosen people and knowing what took place in the Torah, what took place in their history, and, and what had led them to this place, God had showed up. He had taken them out of captivity. He had done all these different things time after time. And this was the history and what they knew. But what they were in as a culture was an oppressed place. And they were occupied. So this, this particular, uh, the first part of this, uh, this is uh, the centurion and how Jesus heals a centurion servant. So let's just read it through and, and break it down here for a second. And then uh, a little bit later after I go through my part, Katie's going to take some time and she's going to talk about who is this Jesus. So now when he concluded, I'm bringing New King James, uh, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. All right, so that's our place. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the, of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, The one for whom he should do this was deserving. So here are these elders of the Jews that this centurion had sent. He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. And this Gentile thought that Jesus was sent for the Jews. 
And so he actually sent some Jewish elders to come and plead with Jesus. This guy's deserving. Come to him. So let's look at that. How is he deserving? He said, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. What an interesting thing as an occupier, someone who has their own people and, and soldiers, he would, have, he would have taken his own soldiers and, and with his time and the stuff that he was doing there, instead of perhaps just serving himself and building his kingdom, he actually built a synagogue for the Jews. Really interesting. Really interesting that this is who this guy was. And then when Jesus saw him, sorry, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends and they prepared a place for him to come in. No, that's not what it said. Because uh, we would have all, if we saw Jesus coming, we would have said, oh my goodness, let's get our house ready. He's coming to us. This is going to be wonderful. But this man didn't respond like that. Here's how he responded. He said, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends now to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And what he was saying is he understands authority. And this man actually was extremely humble. This is the posturing of the centurion's heart. He came in humility to Jesus, getting these elders who actually, he didn't say, hey, tell them that I did all this good stuff and I'm deserving. The elders actually said it of this man, that he built us the synagogue, that he had done these things for us. They volunteered to go out and to pursue Jesus to come to this place. And this man in humility then comes to him and says, hey, you know what? Um... I, you don't need to come under my roof. I understand that you have control over all the angels, all the demons. You do have control because he would have known the Torah. He built the synagogue. He knows who Jesus is. And this man is catching the revelation that we all have here today as Gentiles, right? Not of the Jewish origin of who he specifically came to originally. And he was catching this revelation and he said, hey, I understand that if you say it's going to go, it's going to go. There's authority in the name of Jesus when he does this. And so he said, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. Red letter word. Jesus says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned to the house and found the servant well who was sick. Absolutely incredible. So this man, just like David of old, how many know that, the, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? He was the same God in the Old Testament as he is right now. That's why we can look at David in the Old Testament. And he was pleading for God's mercy and grace. Though at that time he was subject to the Ten Commandments and the law. And he's like, no, I know you're good God. That you are merciful in all that you do. This is who you are, God. You love and delight in giving mercy. That's what it says. He delights in giving mercy. Can, can you imagine this for a second? That someone comes to you and, and completely wrongs you. So Jesus is actually waiting for someone to completely wrong him so that he could extend mercy because he delights in it. I'm like waiting for opportunities to delight in mercy. Wow, how backwards to our mindsets and our thinking. But here he is and he's saying, this is who I am and this is great faith. Because he understood and was catching something that the people that were following around actually didn't even have the full revelation of who Jesus was because this guy is just looking at him from a distance. He had only just heard of who Jesus was, sent some people to him, let's give this a shot. 
This guy picked it up. So my question to all of us here today is, what are we believing God for? What are we believing God for? Who is Jesus in our life, as Eric is talking about? Who do you say that he is? Who is he in the midst of difficult situations? Okay, I just talked about pregnancy, and pregnancy also ultimately leads to, leads to a time of birth. How many know that a birthing room is not a pretty place, right? It's screams, it's stretching, it's a lot of pain, it's very, very difficult. And, and when new things come out, it comes through that, that painful place. And I, I want to just encourage us right now that God is God in the midst of difficult things. And that it is not beyond our theology that difficult things will take place in this earth. He's preparing us for a time that is to come. So as we look at this, we don't know if Russia is going to go to war right now with everyone in the world. We don't know if the economy is going to collapse in the United States. We don't know whatever is going to take place right now in our lives. But this much we do know that we serve a God whose name is above every other name. And his name is Jesus. That he is mighty in power. And that all authority is his. Period. Amen. There's no but. All authority is his. We have to stand in faith. And I believe that we are being prepared for such a time right now. I'll just share a couple things that, that have just been recently testimonies that I've heard that were kind of like eye-opening. Um, there is a uh, uh, couple, couple of places where I've heard of, uh, I had a client come in. They happen to be Catholic. Um, and uh, they're sitting down and starting to talk about who they are and what's going on. I said, oh, I know exactly where your church is. You know, bless you guys. That's so wonderful. I said, so what's going on in your church? She said, well, actually, we just started doing Bible studies. She said, do you know amongst the Catholic community that we have not been doing Bible studies, like, ever? And so we have a women's group, and this thing is fantastic, and God is moving amongst us, and we're taking other things. But see, that's stuff that we take for granted, isn't it? We've been doing that for years. That's, that's normal to our culture. But what's amazing is there's a people out there that would even be counted as the body of Christ that needs some of the expressions and things that have been strength to us for all these years that now we need to be able to give back. And so I want you to have faith in God, but also what he's put inside of you. Okay? It, it, is, it is Christ in who? In you, the hope of glory. It is Christ in your life, in my life, wherever you go, it is Christ in you that separates us, that stands apart. He's leading us. He's doing all these incredible things. And he is saying, I'm preparing you to be deliverers of my message. We have Jesus in us now. When we go to the sick person, guess what happens? God raises the dead. He cleanses the leper. Blind eyes seed. Prayers and prophecy become a reality. History is shaped through the weight and power of God moving through our lives. That's his plan A. There's no plan B. This is God's plan A, which is you rising up, being the church, being light to this world, and shaping it into his heart and leading it into his heart. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, if difficult days come, for this we have Jesus, right? For this we have Jesus. I was reminded yesterday in the midst of a frustrating situation, I won't share, but a frustrating situation where there were several things that I couldn't control that were 
influencing an outcome. And I was just like, oh, God, this is grading me. And I'm all stressed out because we had a, this big event going on. And, um, and I sat here and the Holy Spirit came over me and he reminded me of something that was called the serenity prayer. If any of you have ever been through AA or heard the serenity prayer, this is powerful stuff. And I just want to give this to us as a key. Uh, for stressful situations or difficult things that we might be dealing with. It said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Give me the courage to to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. We can't control the outcomes, but we can ask God for the serenity, the peace. Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Jesus went away because he knew that we would need a comforter because there's going to be stuff. Holy Spirit is who we have, the serenity within. We need to invite him into these situations. And so I just give you that as a a key to to look at this. But let me just uh, jump over here to to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. I'm just flipping over and I'm going to get back to our our, our scripture. And I just want to read what, what the Bible says about faith and what faith is. Uh, now faith is the, su- the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Meaning, even if it's in your womb, you can't see it. It's something that's hoped for. We don't know ultimately what God's doing. We don't have faith just because we see him at work. We don't say, hey, I saw you do that. Now I have all faith for, for doing this deal. No, he's saying, actually, I want you to have faith when you don't see, when you don't hear, when you don't feel like it. Because of who he is. So there's a difference there in it doesn't come from you. It comes from him. And believing him for who he said that he is. See that? that that's, that's, that's huge. It's, it's recognizing the reality of who Christ is and saying, hey, I came to do this stuff and I want to continue to do it. Same yesterday, today and forever. And will you lean on me? So these are the hope for. Here in, in verse 6 it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's interesting, both God and Satan are actually after the exact same thing in our lives. True statement, and that is to manifest themselves in the earth. Both God and Satan are trying to manifest themselves in the earth. God does it through faith. Satan does it through fear. We all know the acronym FEAR, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. What is fear? It's the expectation that something bad is going to happen and it causes us to stop dead in our tracks. It's fear that stops us from releasing faith. That's the currency of hell. That's the way that, that, that Satan would stop us and hold us back from releasing what God wants to do. And so what I want to encourage us in is that in faith, all things are possible. In faith, we can believe God in the midst of any circumstance and situation and know that he's going to be good, even if the circumstances are out of our control. That's the serenity, the peace to allow those things to happen. So just as establishing there, that it is impossible to please God without faith. So, Lord, how do we have faith? And I want to ask us inside of our own hearts and question, Lord, how am I having faith today? What am I believing for right now? Who are the people in my life that I want to have faith for? What are the things that I'm praying for? What are the areas that we're trying to work through in our family? What are the areas that we are trying to uh, grow in and grow closer towards you? So here again in, the, uh, in, in Luke, uh, now going to the, uh, the second part of this uh, in verse 11. 
This is called Jesus Raises the Son of the Widow in Nain. So now it happened. The day after that, so he healed the centurion. Jesus didn't take a day off. He, he went on. And uh, he went into the city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. So here's his, his disciples and this crowd, and they all meet in this one place. Two different groups of people. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from that city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. These are the stories of this man who said, Be like me. And so here he was, this woman who's a widow. Okay, you think about being a widow. And it's you in this world. She did not have a husband who was out there making money and doing all the different things. And, uh, and here she is in her only son. And back, back then their culture was such that your children would take care of you in later age. And so now her only child, her son, a young man, has now died. Could you imagine the weeping and the torment that this might have been going through this? Without even asking Jesus, Jesus comes to her in compassion, it says. He comes to her in the midst of her brokenness in the hardest place where she didn't even have the energy to ask. She didn't know to ask. She didn't know what to do, but she was just weeping about the whole situation. And Jesus says, I'm looking at you and I see you. I see your need. I see what's going on here. And he says, rise up this young man. And he arises and wakes and God brings healing to this. And I want to encourage us right now that this stuff is not beyond grasp. But I want to give you another context of dead men that live. Right now, speaking to you is a dead man who does live. Me. Uh, all of us are, okay, on some, some place or another. But, but you may or may not know what some of my background is. I was a drug dealer. I was in addiction as deep as you can possibly get in my hands and a bunch of really bad, nasty things. I mean, gone on every stinking level. My parents went to court a bazillion times uh, with me and uh, seven times in total. Uh, and, uh, and you would not know it today because a dead man lives. Okay? It's Christ in us. It's Christ in us that's alive, that brings life, that takes us out of the broken thing. And he heard the, par- the prayers of my parents. And I encourage you right now that your prayers do something far greater than you think that they would do. It's not just petitioning God and throwing up a Hail Mary saying, maybe so, you know, maybe it'll land. But our prayers in accordance to his will is, is, is what God wants us to do. He wants to come into agreement with those things that are in your spirit. Do we know that? Our spirit groans for things. We recognize areas and places, and God puts a hunger inside of you. And I encourage you to go before the Lord and pray. 
What is the eternal thing that Jesus is doing? Jesus right now is sitting on the throne of God and he is making intercession. He's making intercession. When all the other ministry stuff goes away, he is making intercession. Your prayers are powerful and mighty. God says to pull down strong, Paul says it, to pull down strongholds in every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. That's what your prayers do. So as we go into this next part here, I just want us to posture our heart for for what, what Jesus was saying and who he was, because it's interesting, Israel actually missed him. That's part of the, the word, which was very well done here by Ember this morning, about we see Jesus crucified on the cross, and, then, and, and, and they had killed him. But we can sit here today in hindsight, which is 2020, okay, and we can look back through all the generations and say, oh, wow, that was the Son of God. That was the Son of God, but they missed him. I want to encourage us beyond just our Western world minds and what we think of who Jesus is. See, what Israel was actually looking for because they were occupied and they knew that Jesus was going to come back on earth to rule and reign, which that's in our Bibles too. It's Revelation 20. Uh, for, the, for a thousand years, Jesus is coming back to earth. Here is, here is the Jews. They are waiting for a king to rise up amongst them to take them out of the oppressor's hands. They're looking for a king to come to earth. Here as Western world Christians, we're thinking a king's going to come and came, and now we're going to heaven. Both are right, but they're not one without the other. It's not just about eternity and going to heaven. Jesus is actually coming back to the earth. I can't unpack that for you right now. Maybe Eric will <laughs> do it or have me come back. But, uh, uh, but, but Jesus is coming back to the earth. And that's the expectation. That's what Isaiah speaks of and talks about. That's how this guy knew, the centurion knew who Jesus was. Because he had known what was said of him in the Old Testament. That was their text. They knew the, the Son of Man was coming back and this is what he would do. And so, guys, we have him indwelling inside of us in power. Do you know there were prophets in the Old Testament that said, Lord, how did you do this and you didn't reveal it to me? I don't understand how it happened. There were prophets that were like more concerned about not seeing it happen before it actually happened. And we're excited when we get something right. Okay, I'm just trying to say that there's a greater level of expectation in, in God that, that the Lord wants us to have as far as seeing who he is, where he's going, and what he is doing. And Jesus is alive today. He didn't stay in the ground like Buddha or any of the others that had come before. Jesus rose, and that is the difference between him and any other person who claimed themselves to be God or like God or anything else. And so I'm going to invite my wife up now to share in, in a really precious revelation that she has been in for about the last month, month and a half, maybe two months, uh, that uh, uh, she has written some notes down and some things. And as we get to the end of this time, I, I really want us to posture our hearts before God because we're not just going to run out here and just do the lunch thing right away. We're going to intend to be short uh, so that we can actually take a moment to sit before the Lord and to be with him for a second. And how many know that all we need, we don't need someone to pray for you. We just need to get before the one who is. Yeah. 
And, uh, and so we're going to take a few minutes at the end of this time. And, and I just, I want to encourage us to be hearing through this because we've gone through a lot of things over the last several months. And there's a lot of areas and places of wounding that we need healing in. And we need to reestablish and set the definition of who Jesus is because men will fail us. That is ultimately true. We're all going to make mistakes, but we are following a King who is perfect. That's who we're following. We're following Jesus. We're following a King who is perfect, who does not make mistakes. And Katie is going to go into a little bit of his nature and who God is to us and who he was in the word. So go ahead, honey. Thank you. As David briefly alluded to, as we've been going through the Gospels, and Eric's been bringing us through the uh, the book of Luke, and talking about who is Jesus, and and what is this good news he's talking about. I've been born and raised in the church. I started here at Christ Church Northgate, and... I love that the history is there, and I love that I have known God and I have known the Word since I was a since I was a kid. But I've been on this journey of really wanting to know Jesus, the person of Jesus, and I want to know the good news because I feel like having having this amazing history, I've missed the heart of God, and I and I don't know that I've really understood that this thing called Christianity is good news. And that is what I have been after in this, is having the revelation of who Jesus is. And that comes, and we're learning that in the Gospels, and the actual good news, and how that is worked in my life. George, Pastor George from Africa came up and spoke a few months ago. And he made a statement up here. He threw his arms in the air. And he said, I live a life forgiven. And I stopped in my chair. Excuse me. And I said to myself, I don't feel like I live a life forgiven. And that's what really catapulted me. Thinks I got some. (laughs) Catapulted me on this journey of wanting to know what this good news is. Of wanting to know what it is to get up every day. And not feel like I'm in shame and condemnation and not feel like I'm, I'm forgiven. And that's the good news. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Jesus that we're reading in the Gospels. I want to talk about the good news that he's telling us. I'm sorry if I cry. Jesus cries. This Jesus wept. <laughs> Some of the quotes I'm using is from a book called The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. And boy, I've been crying out for a paradigm shift in my mind. I've been crying out for a system overhaul. And um, this is a tool that has really touched my heart and has really healed my image of God. And that's one of the titles of of this in the book is Healing Our Image of God. And um, so that's some of the some of what I'm reading from. But let's do it a little bit of review um, of who this man Jesus is, just in um, of what we've gone through in the Gospels till now. In Luke 5, as we remember, Jesus healed a paralyzed man. And, uh, and as a brief overview, um, this man paralyzed, I think he was paralyzed for his whole life, and his friends were bringing him to Jesus, and where Jesus was, it was so crowded, and they couldn't get in the front door, they couldn't get in the back door, they couldn't get in the windows, so they ripped off the roof. And they lowered this man in to see Jesus. 
Because they were desperate. This man was desperate. And his friends, the faith of his friends, they lower him down. And Jesus says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. And then he turned to the man and he said, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Wow. It was by faith. And then in Luke 7, Jesus says, just, David just talked about the centurion servant who is on his deathbed. And Jesus says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. And then what's coming next week, as Eric will preach on, in uh, Luke 7, verse 36, he forgives a woman who has great sin. And what it alludes to is an adulterous woman. And he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so what we see in these three examples, and there are many more, but for time I just wanted to bring these three to us. By faith they are healed. By faith they are saved. By faith they are made whole. And that's the word that the Lord is bringing. By faith. Who is this Jesus that's healing and casting out demons and forgiving sins? The man that I see is a man that is full of compassion. He's full of mercy. He's abounding in love. And he is generous and he is kind and he is sincere. This is my Jesus. And uh, in Brennan Manning's book, a quote, he says, "What What was the message of Jesus concerning God? What did he really preach? What did he really reveal? Modern scripture scholars tell us that if we want to be most confident that we are in touch with the original preaching of Jesus, we should turn to his parables. Quick, decisive stories that make clear the fundamental points to his teaching. In Luke 7.36 and John 8.4, Jesus encounters an adulterous woman. So I'm going to go through two more parables that are those quick... um, representations of who Jesus is. And this is uh, about the adulterous woman. And it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And at this, those who and at this, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus asked her, Women, where are they? No one has condemned you. She says, No one, sir. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declares, now go and leave your life of sin. An adulterous woman caught in the act. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you. What? 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 Who is this Jesus that he would not condemn? I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand. But I want to know him. A parable in Luke 15 makes a similar point when he talks about the prodigal son. Most of us know it. 
the son who asked for his inheritance early, he takes off across the country, he wastes all his money. And then a famine comes, and he's hungry, and he's cold, and he's desperate. And he thinks, gosh, if I could go home, my father's servants are treated better than me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go home. And so he uh, he's preparing his speech for his father. I'm so sorry. I've wasted the money. Please forgive me and hire me on, and I'll be a servant with your others. And then uh, as he gets close to home and he begins rehearsing his penitent speech, the father rocking on the porch sees him coming and dashes to meet him. The young man barely gets out the first sentence of his speech before the father embraces him, puts a new robe on him, and proclaims a celebration. Who is this God that portrays extravagant love, extravagant love, mercy, compassion, gentleness, and acceptance? This image of God, this is from Brennan Manning's book. This image of God assaults, assaults, and it does, assaults our standards of justice and fair play. The very foundations of our religion are being shaken. The depraved, good-for-nothing prodigal is preferred to his hard-working brother. Celebration instead of punishment? What kind of lunatic order is that? Is that this that reverses all the ranks, making the last first and the first last? Jesus didn't take this adulterous woman to court and stand her on trial for her sin. He didn't judge her. He didn't condemn her. He didn't shame her. He didn't hold it over her head for years. He didn't even discipline her. What about judgment? What about discipline? What about justice? What about consequences? We don't see that in Jesus. We see that Jesus is a man who's full of compassion. He's rich in mercy, tender kindness, gentleness, and abounding in love. Again, from Brendan Manning's book, you can read the quote up here. It says, The parables of Jesus reveal a God who is consistently over-generous with his forgiveness and grace. He portrays a God as a lender magnanimously canceling a debt and the shepherd seeking a strayed sheep. In Jesus' stories, divine forgiveness does not depend on our repentance or on our ability to love our enemies or on doing heroic, virtuous deeds or spending time with him in the morning, or making sure that our house is clean. It just it doesn't matter. God's forgiveness depends only on the love out of which he fashioned the human race. God does not condemn. God does not condemn. He forgives. The sinner is accepted even before he repents. Forgiveness is granted to him. He need only accept the gift. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a love story of God with us. It begins with the unconditional forgiveness. The sole condition is trusting faith. That's what we've been seeing, faith. Christianity happens when men and women experience the unwavering trust and reckless confidence that comes from knowing the God of Jesus. 
So what's the good news? If that's our Jesus, what's his good news? The good news is, is by faith, our sins are forgiven. By faith, we are healed. By faith, we are made whole. And by faith, we are made righteous. Not of our own works, but him. The gospel, the gospel's good news is this. And Eric said it once today. That God so loved you that he gave his only son to die. That we would have everlasting life. He has taken your sin upon himself so that when the enemy uses your past sin to accuse you, Jesus steps in and says, not this one. Not this one. My shed blood is enough and she is made righteous. I have another quote. And this is about one man's experience of, uh, of God's unconditional love. And I know that we still have a little bit of time. So as I read this, if I could have the band come up. And we're just going to, we're going to have this experience. We're going to experience the love of God. During those three hours on my knees, I felt like a little boy kneeling at the seashore. Little waves washed up and lapped up my knees. Slowly, the waves grew bigger and stronger till they reached my waist. Suddenly, a tremendous wave of concussion force knocked me over backward and swept me off the beach, reeling in midair, arching through space, vaguely aware that I was being carried to a place I had never been before. The heart of Jesus Christ. And this first ever in my life experience of being unconditionally loved, I moved back and forth between mild ecstasy and hushed trembling. The aura was what George Maloney years later would describe as bright darkness and bewildering strength. The moment lingered on and on in a timeless now until without warning, I felt a hand grip my heart. I could barely breathe. It was abrupt and startling. The awareness of being loved was no longer gentle, tender, and comfortable. The love of Christ, the crucified Son of God for me, took on the wild passion and fury of a sudden spring storm. Like a bursting dam, spasms of convulsive convulsive crying erupted from the depths of my being. He died on the cross for me. He died on the cross for me. And his shed blood covers me. And he steps in before me. And he says, not this one. She has been made righteous. And that's the good news. That's the good news of a a great Jesus. And I'm experiencing the saving gospel of Jesus. And I've been saved for, well, since I can remember. But now it's, it's personal. It's real. And I want us all to experience that love of Jesus and that good news that he has. So as we transition, I want us to just 
God's preparing us for a time. And he didn't come into this world to condemn this world, but to claim it as his own. That's, that's John 3, 17. We all know 16, but 17 is he didn't come to condemn it. He came to claim it. He came to heal it. He wants to heal the breach. So I was reminded in the song that he loves us. That, uh, that verse in there says, I do not have time to maintain these regrets. What I feel like the Lord wants to do this morning and just this next little time is I, just, I want us to posture our hearts before him. Because there's good news. And that is that we can give our broken places to him. Okay? And one of the things that we were praying about and one of the things that we think that God wants to do is he wants to break off some things from us that we've been holding on to that aren't ours to carry. Specifically, unforgiveness. When you were wronged, like when the stuff happened to you that was really bad, when you were offended by someone, overlooked, not respected, belittled, when someone responded against you in some specific way, Jesus comes to those places. And we can't hold those people or those, those actions, those, those things, because it holds us back from getting the fullness of Christ. I want us in this next time frame to look at the broken places and say, Jesus, would you come in? Can I forgive like you forgave me? Would you come in and meet me in all that compassion and extend it now back even to those places and those broken people? But there'll be names that just kind of go through your head here of different things. And I, I, it really hurts me when this happened or when my parents did such a thing or, or, or the way that this always does this. And I want us to just put our trust in the Lord and faith in who he is and see the author of this thing that we call salvation. The author of the one who came to us in all this mercy in life, who wants to bring healing. And so just, if we can just open up our hearts. God, we want to break hope deferred. You want to break hope deferred. Jesus, you want to bring life into dark and dead places. And God, as we just go into this next little time here, Lord, I just thank you that we can set aside our pens and our notebooks and everything else. When you just posture our hearts before you who is a good God who's smiling at us and is looking to us and is saying to each and every one of us what can we give up? Where's the thing that we're holding on to saying I, I feel good I, I'm holding this because it was wrong I have a right to feel this way. God we want to be fully your vessels and Jesus I thank you for your example we want to forgive like you forgive Love like you loved. And not be held back from being able to be used by you. Lord, we need you to awaken us to the truth of who you are. I ask you, God, that each of us would see you in a different light, in a different way. Examine our hearts. Lord, make us righteous like you want to make us righteous. Make us clean like you want to make us clean. We want to.
your forgiveness and not shame and not condemnation. We don't want to carry around all this junk. So, Lord, we just, we just take off those bags and those things that we've been holding on to, God, and we lay them at the foot of the cross. And we look at you and you said, I gave it all. I extended mercy to all things in all places. God, I thank you. Heal our hearts. Heal our lives. Make us ready and right so that we can be witnesses to this earth. Witnesses of this earth, of your true gospel, your true way, your true heart. Lord, we bless you. The name of Jesus triumphs over everything. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives, God.